With that in mind, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8 this morning? Actually dip back into chapter 7 with the section in my Bible that is titled, The Public Reading of the Law. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. It's a big deal because not everybody had it. There were relatively few scrolls. Verse 2, on the first day of the seventh month, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. While he was facing the square in front of uh, the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and those who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. The scribe Ezra stood on a high wooden platform made for this purpose. Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkai, and Messiah stood beside him on his right to his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkajah, Hashem, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshalem. Ezra opened the book in full view of the people since he was elevated above everyone. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said, Amen, Amen. Then they knelt low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, and Peliah, who were Levites, explained the law to the people as they stood in their places. They read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, this day is holy. To the Lord your God, do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word. If you have studied the book of Nehemiah, you will remember that it details Nehemiah's return to Jerusalem to help rebuild the perimeter wall around Jerusalem. Now, at the time uh, before this, he was living and and working with King Artaxerxes, king of Persia, as the king's cupbearer. And word got to them that Nehemiah's hometown and, and all of the people there, they were in deep trouble. And the normally jovial, optimistic, um, you know, really upbeat Nehemiah becomes sullen. And his sullenness gets noticed by the king. And, and so the king sends Nehemiah home. He sends him home to help. And it's Nehemiah's love for his home and his, and his people that causes the king, to, who loved Nehemiah, to be compelled and And also by God's grace, Nehemiah gets sent home. I I love reading really anything by Wendell Berry. And I I recall 
a, uh, a poem he wrote called Stay Home. It goes like this. It says, I will wait here in the fields to see how well the rain brings on the grass. In the labor of the fields, longer than a man's life, I am at home. Don't come with me. You stay home too. I'll be standing in the woods where the old trees move only with the wind and then with gravity. In the stillness of the trees, in the stillness of the trees, I am home. Don't come with me. You stay home too. Well, if you know the story, you know the Israelites were not able to stay at home. About a hundred years before this, or a little more than that, actually, they were, they were banished from their home by the Babylonians. And now they've been able to come back home. But their lives are far from okay. So Nehemiah goes back home. By the time we get to our passage here in chapter 8, the, the wall has already been rebuilt. And now it is time for the people to come together and to hear the scriptures read aloud and explained. Because the people need to be reunited. They have not been at home. They need to be reunited around the word of God. They've been away. And being away, they've, they've forgotten who and whose that they are. A full generation living away in Babylon and, and re- returning home to a, to a destroyed temple and, 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 and much of the city, a destroyed wall, a destroyed way of life. They are wandering, they are desperate, and they need to experience a reunion. They need to remember who and whose they are. Now, right here, I believe we can pause because I I think we can see together. I hope we can. The second question that Matt Pearson likes to ask, you know, what does this passage say about us? Well, I think we can find some of that right here. What does this passage say about us? Would it would it serve us well to remember who and whose we are? Now, I'm not talking about bringing our country back to God, not in the least. America is a melting pot. People from all different backgrounds and and faith systems. I'm talking about the people of God remembering who and whose we are. Those of us following and being formed by Jesus, remembering that we're supposed to be being formed by Jesus and Jesus alone. Those of us whose citizenship belongs in God's kingdom, eternal beings with work to do in the here and now so that the earth can possibly look more like The true king would have it to look. And some have argued this passage in Nehemiah 8 is actually more about the people being addressed in the passage than than God. I, I think it's about both because I think there's plenty to see and understand from this passage about what God is like as well. What this passage says about who God is and what God has done. Ezra and Nehemiah are leaders in the community, along with all of the other names that I stumbled through reading. But they're in there for a purpose, to show this this union in the leadership that's drawing the people back to reunion in who and whose they are. They are leaders in the community, in this community that is fraught with strife and division Conflict rules the days. 
our text finds us in here. Rebuilding the perimeter wall around Jerusalem would help fend off the attacks from apparent enemies. The community is susceptible or, or, or more susceptible to these attacks precisely because of the internal strife and division and conflict. But even in the strife and even in the wandering, God is still wooing God's people to remember who and whose they are, to remember what God has done, to remember what God is doing, to remember what God will do. But the people must have this reunion. They must be reunited. You can cue that great peaches and herbs song right here. Did y'all get that? Reunited? Feels so good. Yeah. Listen, you cannot stand as a community and be strong together if you do not love each other. If there are factions among you, if there are factions among us. Now, let's be clear. We are probably not through our discord going to uh, expose ourselves to northern tribes of aggression, seeking to plunder and dominate our villages and cities. So the circumstances Ezra and Nehemiah and the people all around them were speaking into are not apples to apples with our situation. But there are still great things at stake. Churches all over are suffering as fractured and fragmented communities coming off of the pandemic. In a sense, the deck has all been reshuffled. A season of musical chairs, if you will, has come and perhaps already gone and it's left some standing without a chair. And that is the church in many cases, in many cases, pushed to the side In some way, the circumstances have have revealed that our communities weren't as strong as they needed to be in the first place. It revealed a a rope that was perhaps already frayed or or a musical, if you'll allow me to continue the uh, metaphor, a musical chairs participant that was less than gung-ho about fighting for that last chair. The people who gather around Ezra and Nehemiah on this day in our text, when the seventh month has arrived, are fighting for their identity as the people of God. Ezra and Nehemiah are encouraging them, trying to get them to fight for their lives together. Like theirs was, in, in many ways, like our fight, our fight to remember. So I, I, I beg you, people, to please remember that our God is a sustainer. Look at, look at Psalm fifty-five, twenty-two. I mean, these are the words that, that draw us back to sustainer. I've just picked a few, but, but rest in these words. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. How about Romans 15, 13? Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that hope today? Isaiah 41, verse 13, for I am the Lord, your God, who holds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. There will be a day 
when all of my, none of my kids will hold my hand anymore. Until maybe years from now when I'm dying, which I watched my father hold his mother's hand in those moments. and It was powerful. God will hold your hand always. And so often in scriptures like these or in our text, the, the, the you, the Y-O-U in such great promises, we, we must understand it as a plural you. Look at, the, look at the picture in our text. The people are gathered together. And this is brought to our attention, y'all, several times. Look, look at the text in Nehemiah 8. In verse 1, all the people gathered in verse 2, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of, of men, women, and, and all who could listen with understanding. In, in verse 3, it says similarly, he read out from it from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and, and those who could understand. The children are there, especially the older ones who can understand. It, it, it reminds me of why. While we like to have the children in here with us, they understand. Verse 9 mentions all the people as well. But look at verse 8 specifically. Verse 8. They read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Doesn't that sound nice? I remember my first trip out of the United States was to Costa Rica. It was in 1999. I remember so much about that. I, I, I loved it so much. We went back for our honeymoon. I remember the beautiful landscape. I had, I had not been many places in 1999. I'd never left the U.S. I remember seeing these Cyclists on bicycles, that's what cyclists do, they ride bicycles, following huge dump trucks, like right behind them, drafting off these dump trucks, going way faster than they should. I've never seen that in the U.S. But I was telling uh, our oldest, because he's, he's 14 now and getting, you know, so we're talking more about driving, and I was explaining to him this week, ironically, unrelated to this, just how different it is driving in other places in the world and it's quite nuts in Central and South America, in my opinion, driving. The culture is just so different. That's why it's so important for us to take opportunities, I believe, to travel, to see God at work in other places. The culture is so different. The language, obviously, is different in Costa Rica and places like it. I'd only had one or two semesters of Spanish at that point in my life, so I would hear these native speakers speaking so fast, and it was impossible to keep up or even to pick out a few of the words I could understand and understand them in context or, or piece them together. But it was okay because we had translators. We had those who could help us understand. Hearing the words with someone who could understand them better and then helping us understand. The people are here in, in Nehemiah 8, all the people whom Ezra is addressing with the Torah. And well, they've They've been away for so long. 
And how much y'all did they get to hear the law while they were, they were away? Maybe a little bit here and there, but, but nothing like this. They had not heard it read in this setting altogether like this. They had been fractured and fragmented. And now they are back together with the law being read by a great leader who loves them, who understands. Remember we talked about last week, it was, it was the young men, young Israelites who, who their greatest desire would have been to study under rabbis and learn Torah with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So they would know the will of God and then be able to communicate it. Ezra is one of these people and they trust him and, and, and they're hearing him read the word among them. They are back at home and the law is being read to them. They have a chance here again to be together in this environment where they can once again aspire with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength to, to those things that really matter, those things that they are compelled to. So they stand for hours to hear the word of the Lord read to them. It's incredible. And they're understanding it. It is, it is resonating with them. If there's anything in you that is still Search your heart. It is Bible study just wrote to you. These are the weeks. This is why we put this in the calendar here to study these passages. Is Bible study something that you do? Praise God that you do it, but you just do it. Or do you have moments where God speaks to you, where you resonate with what is being said, where you go, aha, I can be different. I understand it differently now. Because God is actually speaking to you. This is what the people are experiencing. They have been lost for a generation alone. And now they are together again. They're not taking it for granted. They're there for hours standing. This is not like they're at the Grand Ole Opry and they're seeing a great show and they're standing and they've got their chair to sit in whenever there's no chairs. They're in a field. And they're not wandering around. They're not going anywhere. They are hearing and understanding God's word. And it is resonating with them. And they are saying, amen. And every now and then I'll hear one of you respond with an amen. When I might say something that rings particularly true or, or might strike you as a fresh word of explanation. Now, our African-American friends, they have this richly built into their church culture. Perhaps, you know, it's called call and response. And one of the best, maybe the best sermon I've ever heard or the most memorable sermon I've ever sat and, and heard was uh, by Dr. Frank Thomas, pastor and professor from Memphis, as he was our guest uh, preacher downtown at First Baptist. This was, a, this was over 11 years ago. I bet Leslie Ann remembers that day. I remember it well because our pastor was out for two weeks and I was going to preach my first sermon ever the week after him. Bummer. Could flip those. <laughs> I remember he told us, he, he asked us to participate in that call and response that morning. And it was fun. But he compelled us to because he said, listen, church, if you don't talk back to me, I'm just going to assume you're not with me. And I need to explain it further. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I think that's funny. Somebody that said amen just because they want to go get their chicken. 
don't worry, I don't need you to talk back. I stay pretty tight with my manuscript. I can't be trusted just to stand up here and wing it. We need these moments of resonance, church, of realizing what is being read and and discussed and, and explained and understood to realize that it's true, that it strikes us as the way things are, that it strikes us about where God is calling us to go and who God is asking us to be together as we are going there helping us see what this passage has to say about God, any passage, what it has to say about us and what it has to say about how we relate to God and each other. And maybe that's from this platform. I hope that it is. I hope that you find these sermons that I love to prepare as worth the time or whoever is preaching in this moment. The moment is holy. As is our group time. Perhaps it's in our group time. I hope it's in our group time. When we open the word together and we discuss it and we help one another understand it and we explain it to one another, not just from a master teacher. That's not how our groups are devised anymore. We have facilitators and we're all called to be disciples that understand the text and can help bring fresh insight to it because God is working in each of you differently than me. You have experiences that they don't, that I don't. I have experiences that you don't. And that is part and parcel to what discussing and understanding and explaining and just being with the text looks like. Perhaps it's over a cup of coffee, one-on-one. You need to not be reticent to bring what God, especially with your closest friends, because they can handle what God is teaching you. That is what these relationships are for, to spur one another along. In the Lord. These words on these pages, who, as we discussed last week, are pointing us directly to Jesus, they need to be read, discussed, even argued about together. We listen together as the people give us this example in our text. We study and discuss together and we do it for understanding. We do it so we can be formed, so that we can have lives, church, so that we can have lives that make a difference. Look at verses 9 and 10. Nehemiah, the, the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said, To all of them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go and eat what is rich and drink what is sweet and send portions to those who have nothing prepared. Since today is holy to our Lord, do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, back in 2 Kings uh, chapter 22, when Josiah was king, the book of Deuteronomy was actually discovered. It was come upon in the temple. And Josiah takes it and reads it to the people. And hearing the many laws of the Torah, the text tells us the people are dismayed at how they have not lived it out. And this situation here in Nehemiah 8, I believe, is, is similar The people are mourning and they are weeping for all that they have left undone, all that they have done against God's will, against God's law. But but church, where we sit today, where we sit today in this room, we sit on the other side 
of Jesus' cross. Amen? And while we were still sinners, perhaps prone to, to mourn and weep ourselves for all that we've left undone or all that we have done to sin against God, while we were still sinners, Christ has died for us. For all the people. All the people. And we have even more reason to rejoice. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The Lord saw it fit to to save you, to, to rescue you, to redeem you. And if you know this, if you have given your life to Christ, if you are following and being formed by Jesus, then eat food that is rich. Drink what is sweet and most importantly, help others who have less. But do not weep and mourn, at least not perpetually. God loves you and has proven that in Jesus. God's joy that, that, that you and I will be reconciled together and with God through Jesus is right there for us to take, to experience. And because of that, because it's available to you and everybody else, hey, we're going to be okay. No matter how much we're not getting along at any point in time, no matter how much your neighbor is driving you crazy, or your best friend. No matter how much you feel when you wake up tomorrow or the next day that you have fallen short and, and God could never love you, that's just not true. We say it often, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Let's be reunited around the word. Because if we're not, we may never, ever know this. Let's pray.